0: For that. I want to talk real quick this morning. We've been doing a sermon series called 30-Second Theology, and we're going to watch a commercial here in a few moments. But before I get to that, um, I just kind of wanted to say something um, as the pastor here at New Covenant. Um, you may or may not be familiar with something that's happened this last week, but in the state of New York, um, there was something passed called the Reproductive Health Act. And basically what this was is... Um, New York, state of New York, has legalized um, full-term abortions, uh, which means all the way up to the due date, it used to be 24 weeks was the cutoff for an abortion. Now it is the day of, um, all the way up. Um, if, and the reasoning behind that is, if the mom is in danger, or the baby is deemed no longer viable, which are two very, um, very not very specific at all, uh, very general and vague terminology, and so that was passed in New York, the state of New York. It was celebrated, it was clapped about, it was cheered, it was rejoiced, Um, and social media has been a blur about it all week. But here's the position of this local church, New Covenant Christian Church, as your pastor standing here uh, telling you these things, that life begins and is valued at conception. Life begins and is valued at conception. Um, And so we are 100% for life. And um, I want you to know something. I, I don't want you to be surprised. I think sometimes we see these things pass and the cheering and the rejoicing and we're surprised. I don't want you to be surprised because darkness can only act like darkness. The darkness that's in this world can only act like darkness. Can only push forward the agenda of the darkness. The Bible says that this world is growing increasingly dark. This world is growing increasingly dark, and so we shouldn't be surprised when the darkness acts like darkness. And I understand a lot of people who are for these things, for abortion, and and even this new one that gives you the full term, abortion, they say, it's my body, it's my choice. I'm obviously a man. I don't understand necessarily that concept. As a man, as a woman, I'm sure it might feel different, but here's what I do know. Standing in front of you, 36 years old, I've been at this church working, ministering for 20 years. Started out as a janitor, had the opportunity to work with teenagers. I've seen a lot of people come, seen a lot of people go. I've seen a lot of people walk through the halls of these doors. We've walked and talked with so many people who have had an abortion and regretted it for the rest of their life and lived with that sorrow and lived with that pain. Even though fully Jesus Christ loves them, accepts them, has forgiven them 100%, it was hard for them to move past that decision that they had made when they were younger. I've also, as I led the youth and pastored teenagers, I remember there was a teenager who was raped and became pregnant and decided to keep the baby because she knew that life was precious. And so I understand all the arguments and I understand all the other things that are here and there, but don't be surprised when darkness acts like darkness. You and I, we are called to be the light in this world. What, here's the thing what can you and I do we think of something like this and we see this and it's like what should our response be and you can sign petitions I saw some of those going around this week you can rant on social media I saw some of that you can come up with clever sayings and, and little quips and say different things but here's the thing they don't work I'm sorry they don't work if it had Roe v. Wade the decision that was made 46 years ago to legalize abortion it would have been overturned by now If all it takes is some people ranting, if all it takes is some social media movements, if all it takes is signing petitions, it would have been done 46 years ago. I'm here to tell you it doesn't work. Say, so what can I do? What can we do? How do we fight? Well, first of all, as Christians, you have the light of Christ in you. You and I have the light of Jesus Christ in us. And when does light shine the brightest? In the darkness. We have a world that's growing increasingly dark. I would encourage you to shine. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. So this week, I would encourage you to be the light. I would encourage you to be clear-headed, to stay alert, to be on your guard. Some translations say to be sober Minded. I would encourage you to be sober-minded. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. I would encourage you to be clear headed and sober minded, to be a light in this dark world. And secondly, I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through twenty, and you'll read that scripture this week, and you look at that, and it'll tell you that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the Democrats. It's not against the Republicans. It's not against this group. It's not against that group. It's against principalities and and powers that we do not see. And there's things going on that you and I are not aware of, and these Scriptures tell us to wear the full armor of God so that we can stand firm against the attacks of the devil, against the attacks of the darkness. When the darkness acts like darkness, we can stand strong. Because we have truth, and we have peace, and we have salvation, and we have the Word of God, and we have prayer, and you'll read about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. So my encouragement to you is wear the armor that God has given you to stand firm in this world that is growing increasingly dark. Amen. So would you do that this week as you go home? Will you read Ephesians 6, 10 through 20? You can pull it up on the app, our church app, all of everything we're talking about today. There's study guides out there that you can take. But I encourage you not to get on, on social media and not to rant and not to rave and not to call names, not, but to pray to open the Word of God, to pray for our legislators, pray for all of the people involved in these things. But we have to understand something is that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. I know we live in the United States of America and I know that we are citizens of this country, but we belong first and foremost to the kingdom of heaven. So this is not a political issue. This is a moral issue, amen? And so I want you to do that as people who are Christians who love God and who value life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So with that being said, what I want to do this morning is I want to move. That wasn't my message. It was going to be, and then I just decided it's not going to be. We're only going to talk about it for a brief moment, and there was the brief moment. So this morning, uh, we're going to continue on uh, with our 30-second theology. Uh, Let's watch this commercial, and we'll talk about the message behind it. you thought he was going to get eaten by the wolves? He goes like, no, run, run, right? Uh, and then he's like, oh, how many of you wanted to snuggle with the wolves after you saw that? Okay, that's kind of what I thought. And uh, so that, the, the Shangri-La, it's a, a chain of hotel and resort, very high end, very upscale, Paris, New York, London, Fran- like very, you know, fancy places. And uh, there, the tagline on that commercial was to embrace a stranger as one's own, it's in our nature. And I saw that, I remember seeing that, and I was like... Holy cow, if that's not the message of the church, I don't know what is. To embrace a stranger as one's own, it's in our nature. That word embrace, I like this. Embrace means an act of accepting or supporting something willingly or enthusiastically. The act of accepting or supporting something willingly or enthusiastically. How many of you, maybe, you know, you haven't seen like your best friend from high school and you haven't seen him in like 10 years, but then you see him, are you just like, hey, what's up? Good to see you. <laughs> or do you do that, do that thing that the girl's like, ah, right? And jump in and the flail in. And guys do that too. I know. Ah! And and jump in and flail in. And, and what do you do? You embrace, right? You just, a big old bear hug. I mean, that's what guys do. guys are like, hey, what's up, man? You know, a big old embrace, right? And a couple bumps and you're good, right? And it's this big embrace. You're, you are like, man, this is, it. I'm so excited to see you Again, and he's saying this idea of embrace, this definition of embrace, an act of accepting or supporting something willingly or enthusiastically. So you willingly and enthusiastically embrace, that tagline said, "Embrace it, to embrace a stranger as one's own. What's that word stranger mean? Well, it's a person whom one does not know or with whom one is not familiar. A person who does not know or is not known in a particular place or community so a stranger is someone who doesn't know many people no one really knows them they're a stranger in the community they don't really know what's going on someone mentioned uh, which I thought was awesome in first service they said hey I want you to know that this church lives this stuff and I'm like what do you mean? they said well the first day I was here it was sometime around the Christmas time the first time I came to New Covenant someone took me out bought me a meal at Hy-Vee got to know me knew my name welcomed and loved me and accepted me even though they had never met me before it's like hey that's awesome that's exactly what we're talking about. To embrace a stranger as, one, as, as one's own. It's in our nature. So to embrace, support, accept something willingly or enthusiastically in a stranger, someone who's unfamiliar, someone who's not known, someone who is new to a place or a community. And so this morning we're going to do more than just talk about that commercial because here's the thing. You and I, we serve a God who takes strangers and foreigners and gives them a home. You and I serve a God who loves foreigners. A God who loves strangers. A God who loves outcasts and outsiders. You and I serve that kind of God. He has a heart for the lost and the hurting, irrespective of their nationality irrespective of their place in life, their economic background, their social background, irrespective of all of that, he has a heart for the hurting and the broken. In fact, the Bible is full of stories about the importance of strangers and foreigners being embraced and loved and accepted as one's own. I want to tell you a few stories this morning. Can I do that? Okay, thank you. And the rest of you, you can take a nap if you're like, nope. how many how, how many times you get permission to take a nap in church, huh? Probably yeah. zero. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I always just open up the doors and let the cool air in if you guys want. We could work on that. And uh, all right, so first I want to tell you is this guy named Moses. And uh, Moses in the the Old Testament, you can you can read about him. It starts off in Exodus, and uh, Moses is he's a. I want to give you a little background real quick. So um, that's gonna take a while. I don't have a lot of time. Here's what we're going to do. Read your Bible. All right. So, (laughs) (laughs) Exodus chapter 1, we we come upon this story. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, are living in a land. They're living in Egypt. And the pharaoh that had, had been overseeing all of Egypt... Had, the one that had lived previous absolutely loved the Israelites, loved the Jewish people, loved that they were there, gave them the best piece of land, and, and they were there. And they were growing, and they were multiplying, and life was good. Well, he passed away, and then another guy passed they, they, they passed away, and these pharaohs that were in charge of Egypt now, they saw these Israelites and all these people, and they said, they are a threat to us. There are so many of them, and they are so blessed and prosperous, and they have so many children that they could take over egypt someday and we i could lose my power we could lose the kingdom and so something has to be done about this and he devises all these plans and we need to you know kill these babies and this needs to happen and this needs to happen and the midwives wouldn't do it and when they were they, anyway the, the they just kept multiplying they just kept growing and this pharaoh was desperate and he said all right here's what we're going to do if they if the israelite babies if they if they're, if they're female they can live but if they're male you need to toss them in this in the river and he throw all, all baby boys that are born to any Israelite in Egypt at this time, when you read about it in Exodus chapter 1, he says, throw them in the river. Great guy, right? That's his plan. And so there's an Israelite, a Levite man, a Levite woman. They come together. They have a baby. And this baby, three months old, this, the mom weans the baby. The baby's three months old, has the baby. Can't hide him any longer. Does not want to throw him into the river. So takes a little basket, makes a little ark if you want to call it that puts some pitch, put some asphalt put some stuff to waterproof it lays the baby in the basket puts baby in the river so she put the baby in the river just added a basket right? and baby's in the river and get this, Pharaoh's daughter the same Pharaoh that said all Hebrew babies all Israelite babies, all these babies born to these people they need to, all the boys they need to be killed here's Pharaoh's daughter, picks up the baby boy sees him in the water, floating, picks up the baby boy and accepts a stranger as her own. She picks up who she would later call Moses because she pulled him out of the river. And she calls him Moses. And and so Moses grows up in a house of an Egyptian. So he learns how to walk like an Egyptian. (laughs) 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 Zing! All right. So... That was new. I didn't do that first service. Yo, okay. Um, even the first people that hear first service, are like, wow, you could have just left that off. <laughs> so Moses, here's the cool thing about Moses. He goes on, as he grows up and gets older and older and older and older, he actually frees all of his fellow Israelites. He frees them from Egyptian slavery and bondage. The entire nation, millions Of people, he—that's what Exodus is about. The great Exodus, the exit. He helps all the whole entire nation coming out of Egyptian slavery and Egyptian bondage, and all because someone pulled them out of the water and accepted a stranger as their own. You heard Mel talk about it earlier on the screen—that they became new foster parents. Man, if that's not a story for fostering and adopting, I don't know what is. To embrace a stranger as one own, you have no idea. What someone is going to accomplish, what they're going to do. Look what Moses did. Look what Moses did. He freed an entire nation from slavery and bondage. That's pretty cool. Here's another story for you Esther. Everybody say Esther. Esther, Esther was, get this, an orphaned, exiled Jew living in Persia, living in a whole different country. Orphaned, exiled. She had no father, no home country. She was living in a foreign land. She was a foreigner. She was a stranger. You can read this in the the, the, book, the story of Esther. You can read it in the Old Testament. She has an entire book named after her. It's called Esther. It's 10 chapters long. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of that this morning. It's going to be super brief. I'm going to leave out tons of details. My encouragement to you, read it this week. It comes back to read the Bible. It's great. It's fun. You're, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to leave so much out. You're going to be like, I want to know more. You're going to read it. So there's four main characters in this story about Esther. You got Esther, you got King Ahasuerus, you got Mordecai, and you got Haman. So King Ahasuerus, he had a wife, Queen Vashti, but through a series of events she no longer becomes no longer is his wife and he looks for a new one. Enter Esther. Esther becomes the king's new wife, and here's the cool thing about it, Esther isn't even Persian. And she becomes a queen of a foreign country that's pretty cool now in that story if you have a good story you know that you have to have a bad guy right enter bad guy everybody say hey man man. man. so Haman he's the bad guy he was the bad guy and Haman's arch enemy was Mordecai okay now Mordecai happened to be Esther's uncle see all the court isn't this interesting like this is like reality tv but in the bible (laughs) and even better and Mordecai was a high-ranking official in, in King Ahasuerus' government, and, and he was also a Jew. And Mordecai and Haman, again, not great friends, Haman just hates Mordecai. Haman finds out Mordecai's a Jew. Haman has written up a decree that all Jews on such and such date should be killed. Takes it to the king. king's like, yeah, sounds good to me. Signs off on it, puts a stamp on it. Says, go ahead, deliver it to all the provinces. Let's make it so. Let's get rid of all the Jews. Let's do it. Now, he hadn't realized that he had married a Jewish woman. Right? And so Mordecai comes to Esther and, and he's like, Listen, this thing has gone out, and, and you need to approach the king and you need to let him know, hey, I want you to know that you just signed a death warrant for me and all my people. And Esther's like, I can't do that. Like, I can't go to the king and do that. I can't. There's no way. What if he doesn't listen to me? What if he, you know, and there's all these, I can't. I can't do that. He says, listen, and then this is something you may or may not have heard before. There's a scripture. There. He says, well, who knows? Maybe you were born for such a time as this. Maybe you were born at the right time, at the right place, because of this reason. Maybe there's purpose that goes beyond what you even realize. Yes, you're orphaned. Yes, you're exiled. But maybe there's a reason that you're queen of this nation right now. Maybe there's a purpose for you going through this and being who you are, where you are right now. She's like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Mordecai is a pretty convincing dude. She goes to the king. Through a series of events, he can't undo what's already been done, but he says this. Here's what I can do. I can send out another decree that the Jewish people can fight back. So long story short, the Jewish people fight back. They win. They're victorious. It's a great victory. Instead of what should have been a defeat and the annihilation, the genocide of an entire group of people, They had tremendous victory. All because an orphaned, exiled woman became queen, recognized her destiny, and again saved people from genocide. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's cool. There's another story, another lady. Her name's Ruth. So Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, lived in the nation of Israel, and they went to Moab. Find greener pastures, you know the, the saying, "Grass is greener on the other side." Wasn't? She got over there with her sons, her sons, their sons married uh, Orpah and Ruth. And unfortunately, as they're in Moab, all three of the men passed away, so it left Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah as widows. And so Morpa decides to stay; she's going to stay in Moab. But Naomi says, "You know what? I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back." To Israel, I'm going to go back to my people. And Ruth says, you know what? I'll go with you. Why not? I got nothing else to do. So get this, a Moabite, a foreigner, Ruth, comes to Bethlehem, comes to Israel as a stranger, as a foreigner. She's accepted. She's welcomed by the people. Not only this, get this. She goes and she works in a field and she's gleaning and she's picking up uh, leftover grain that people they are going through and harvesting and, and they're leaving some behind and then the orphans, the widows, they come back, they come through, they pick up what's left, they take it home, they eat that, they sell it, they live their life basically on other people's leftovers. And so Naomi says, go and do that, go live on other people's leftovers. And then the, the person that owns these fields as she's out there doing this work, he catch, Ruth catches his eye. It's like, hey, she's pretty. Why don't you guys do me a favor? When you're, when you're taking all this stuff and you're harvesting everything, why don't you leave some extra behind? Make sure Ruth stays close. Make sure she gets a whole bunch. Like, just bless her. but Make sure she gets a lot. So she does. She tells Naomi, and ta- Naomi's like, this, this is a gift of God. This is his blessing. This is his divine favor. Here's what you need to do. And so a series of events, process of time. Boaz, the rich guy, and Ruth become husband and wife. Ah, ah. Here's a, a foreigner from Moab, marries an Israelite man. And here's the cool thing about this story, and I'd encourage you to read this one as well. It's in Ruth, obviously. One, two, three, and four. Well, not obviously, but it is. It's a book in the Old Testament called Ruth. It's four chapters. Read it. It's a quick one. And when you look at this at the end, it talks about, you know, Ruth and Boaz and and all these things. Why is this story significant? Why does it matter? Check this out. Ruth and Boaz become the great grandparents of King David. A foreigner becomes the great grandma of one of the great probably the greatest kings of Israel that they've ever had. King David. And not only that, when you read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, the ancestral history, when you look back and this person had this person, and you're like, man, these are so boring. This person had this person, who had this person. But you're reading through that and you get to David and you're reading through it some more and reading through it some more and you finally get to Jesus. But do you know who's in Jesus' lineage? Ruth. A foreigner. A stranger in the ancestral history of of Jesus. And not only that, but it was rare for women to even be in it. They weren't really regarded as equal. And so for there to be a woman in that lineage was amazing enough. But then you put in a foreign woman? I think God cares about the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. And then there's another story in the New Testament. You might have heard of it. There was a baby born to a virgin. Anybody? Anybody? Jesus? Imagine how that went. You're a virgin, but pregnant. Now, I want you to think about how you're going to explain that to your fiancé. I mean, words haven't been invented. How do you, how do you tell your fiancé, that you're pregnant, but I'm a virgin. <laughs> you know, I mean, we kind of just read over that stuff. But I mean, think about how difficult that would be for her to come to him and be like, "Hey, I'm pregnant. I conceived, but it's through the Holy Spirit." He's a little early to be drinking, <laughs> right? I mean, just imagine it if you put yourself in that place. I mean, it doesn't cover it in the Bible. It doesn't go through the nuances and the emotions, and I'm speculating here, but if someone came to me and said, hey, I'm pregnant, and I was married to him or engaged to him, or they'd be like, there's only one way that happens. <laughs> and it wasn't with me, so we got a problem. <laughs> I mean, come on. And, uh, and, and, and we laugh about it a little bit, but this was This was serious. This happens a lot in our culture today, and it's sad that it does, but back then, she should have been stoned to death. Like, she should have been killed. That's infidelity. I mean, try to explain to a bunch of people, well, the Holy uh, Spirit, it was conceived through the Holy Spirit. That's how I got pregnant. It was the Holy Spirit's fault. It's not going to fly. You dead. (laughs) I mean, that was her future. Excommunication from family for him, and just all this, like, Humiliation and embarrassment. And when you read in these in in Matthew and Luke and I don't have them in front of me but the scriptures are on the study guide or you can get them on the app in the weekly study guide but you read through these things and Mary talks to Joseph about these things and he's pondering them in his heart and he's like, what do I do with this? Like, what do I do with this information? And he had decided already that he he was going to make sure it's dealt with quietly. He wasn't going to publicly embarrass her. He wasn't going to go through He's like, I'm going to deal with it quietly. I love her. I, I care for her. And, and then eventually an angel appears to Joseph. He says, listen, the things that Mary are telling you, it's true. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's confirmation then, right? <laughs> You're going to believe that. He says they're true. And the baby that is, that inner, you know, name him Jesus. And, and all these things, he talks about who that is, and that he's going to save the world. And Joseph's eyes are open. He's like, all right, I'm all in. But what does he do? He embraces a stranger as his own. Joseph didn't father Jesus. I mean, he didn't... Do you get what I'm saying by that? I mean, he was, he was Jesus' father, but him and Mary never had sex. Him. So as far as that's concerned, that baby inside of her was a stranger. That baby was not his flesh and blood. You ever thought about that? To embrace a stranger as one's own, it's in our nature. All of these stories, all of them point to our Creator. We have a God who takes in strangers and makes them family. All of us, we were all once dead to sin. While we were dead in sin, Christ died for us. God desires to make you and I part of his family. Look at Ephesians 2:19 through 22. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders, but you belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what He is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Man, that's a great passage of Scripture. Here's the secret. God loves foreigners, strangers, outcasts. He loves the orphans and the widows. And you and I, we were all once foreigners and strangers to God. Because sin had eternally separated us from God the Father, our Creator, who loved us and cared for us. And that's why He had that plan to send Jesus into the world. For God so loved the world that He gave. He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life amen Amen. that's how much he loved us and then he made us part of the family and this is my favorite line in that entire scripture god is building a home and he's using us all listen to me for a second he's using all of us and then check this out irrespective of how we got here it does not matter your past. It does not matter who you were. It does not matter who you are and this moment. God is using you. God loves you. He cares for you. If you're valued at conception, then you're valued now. It's not just pro-life then. It's not just pro-life for a nation. If you are for life, then be for life. God uses every single one of us irrespective of how we got here maybe you're not proud of your past well i want you to know that your future is bright in jesus you say but you don't know the things i've done i don't need to know god knows tell him repent of them and move on move on you're part of his family He loves you. He cares for you. Irrespective of how you got here, He is building us into a home for God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. So you and I, we were once strangers, we were once foreigners, but now we are part of the family of God. That's good news. So what do we do with that? Well, I would say to you today that the church is a place to embrace a stranger as one's own. It's in our nature. Why? Because we've been made in the image and the likeness of God. And if God took in the widows and the orphans and and the foreigners and the strangers, if He loves them and if He has a plan and a purpose for them, then guess what? We should do the same. We should love others. We should love the orphans and the widows, the outcasts, the strangers, the foreigners. We should love Everyone. You and I should find ways to be there for one another. We should love all of our neighbors as ourselves by the words we say, the words we type, the actions. We don't have to like what they do. You don't have to like what a political party does. You don't have to like what a certain group does. You don't have to like it. But God loves them just as much as He loves you. So at the very least, you should choose to love them, pray for them, and honestly do whatever you can to help them Deuteronomy 24:19 through 21 says this When you harvest your grain and forget a sheaf back in the field don't go back and get it leave it for the foreigner the orphan and the widow so that God your God look at this will bless you in all your work when you shake the olives off your trees don't go back over the branches and strip them bare what's left is for the foreigner the orphan and the widow When you cut the grapes in the vineyard, don't take every last grape. Leave a few for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. You guys notice the theme? Leave something for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. Why? Because God cares about them and He wants us to provide for them. He wants us to embrace a stranger as one's own because it's in our nature. And I might, might not be in your fleshly nature, but it's in your God-given nature. Because this is exactly what God does. He embraces all of us. Look at Leviticus 19. You're going to love it. When a foreigner lives with you in your land, don't take advantage of him. Treat the foreigner the same as a native. Love him like one of your own. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am God, your God. You know what's cool about this scripture? It's not a political statement. You can take it one way or the other. You can read it however you want. It is not a political statement. But man, I love it. Treat the foreigner the same as a native. Love him like one of your own. Look at this. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt, now you and I—we weren't foreigners in Egypt, but you and I are foreigners. We were once foreigners. We were once separated from the love of God because us, as sinful people, and God, as holy and sinless, we were separated. We were foreigners. We were strangers. So remember that the next time you want to write something on Facebook, the next time you want to say something bad about a fellow human being that you said their conception was important. Remember that you yourself were once foreigner and that God still loved you. And he put his nature inside of you so that you can do the same.